Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Jerry Zari. I'm a lieutenant in the San Francisco Fire Department at PlanCheck. And this is John Corbett. Say hi, John. Hi, I'm John Corbett. And he's a fire protection engineer. And today, what we're going to do is try to work through this mini-seminar on the comparison between the 1999 NFPA 13 and the 2002. We're not going to hit every point because time doesn't allow us to. And we want to touch on some other things as well, like a couple bulletins and let you know the status of them. We also want to touch on a little bit on the comparisons between NFPA 13, 13R, and 13D. If you have the handout, everybody should pick one up at the back of the PowerPoint presentation. It's a little small, a little hard to read, but there's space here for you to take notes. And that might help you clarify things, because it is a little hard to read. I want to thank ESOM, and I would like to thank also our fire marshal, Barbara Schulteis, for giving us the resources and the opportunity to be here today. I think it's always best to have as much interaction with the public and answer as many questions as possible. So that's what we want to do today. We want to get through this. If you have immediate questions that are important, go ahead and ask them. But we want to work through it and maybe write your question down and wait until the end. And then we'll have the question and answer period. So like we said, it's a transition from 1999 to 2002. And we're presenting it. Next. Basically, all of the NFPAs are reorganized. The first three chapters, number one is administration. And then chapter two is reference publications. And the third chapter is definitions. OK, so these are the same in all the NFPAs. That's the way they're going to be eventually. So in any NFPA standard you look at, that's where it's going to be. So basically, and this isn't true totally, but basically all your chapters moved up three. So what used to be chapter five is now chapter eight, something like that. And that's basically where you could look. There are some additions to that. There's some new additions. And one of them is flammable liquids. Yeah, they added a special occupancy section. They added underground piping. And there's a few other things they've added in there, too, that make the NFPA 13 document a more holistic, comprehensive document that can be used for fire sprinkler design. The main thing in this slide is the retroactivity clause. The authority having jurisdiction can apply this standard to existing systems where there is an unacceptable degree of risk. So that's new. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that if we see, go in and our inspectors see a system that looks like it doesn't have any earthquake bracing or the spacing of the heads is completely wrong, even though it's existing, we may say that it's an unreasonable hazard. And that's up to us now. This gives us authority to go in and make them change it. And so I'm assuming many of you are designers out there or 
estimators, whatever, contractors. If you see something like that, you may want to notify the owner of that and let them know that, in your opinion, this should be brought up to current code and maybe bring it even to our attention. I know that's kind of not something you want to do, but it's probably the right thing to do. All right, it's reference publications, and that's updated to the most current applicable standards. It directs users to other standards for the design of sprinkler system not addressed in NFPA 13, and that would be like, explain that to them, John. Well, flammable and combustible liquids, I believe, is one example that it refers you to that section in a different code so you would understand how to design a system for that particular occupant. They have new definitions as well. Bathrooms and dwelling units is now defined. Ceilings are defined as flat, horizontal, and sloped, and gives you the actual 2 and 12 or greater than 10%. That's on the next slide, I believe. And then it gives you non-combustible and limited combustible, what those definitions are, and consistent with NFPA 220, which is types of building construction. Okay. Chapter 4 is the owner's certificate, and that was a handout. It looks like this. And this is new, and this we may be requiring. And since the code's new, we're going through a new building code cycle as well, fire code cycle. You know, it's going to take us a little while to get everything, you know, reorganized to make it easier for you to know what we need and what we're looking for. The last thing we want is that you are confused. And so one contractor is bidding a job for this price. The other contractor is bidding it for that price because you don't know what to expect. So you don't get the job. The other guy gets the job. That's what we want to avoid here. We want to maintain fairness and consistency. So input from you is good, too. If you see something in the code that you think we're missing, give us a call. You've got our cards. Our card's at the back of the room. We need to know about it. I mean, we learn. We try to teach you. We try to learn from you. I mean, you guys have a lot of knowledge, and the best way to do it is to be cooperative. So please help us in that regard. All right. The owner's certificate. Now, this is interesting because now it puts the onus on the owner and not anyone else, not the fire department, not the designer. It establishes what the owner intends to use the occupancy for and what exactly they have in that building. What are they going to have in that building? So, for an example, if you're going to build a warehouse and you've got 20-foot ceilings, but you're saying, oh, we're not going to have high-piled storage in there, well, we're going to be scratching our heads. You know, you've got 20-foot ceilings. You're not going to put high-piled storage in there. So you're going to have what? You know, 12 foot above your storage with nothing in it, you know, or 10 feet. So it's up to the owner, to be honest. And like I said, we might require this to be on the plans, especially for special occupancies, spray booths or spray areas, anywhere where there's flammable liquids or over the exempt amounts. 
of uh, any any commodity. System components and hardware. And this is this was uh, always assumed and understood, but it was never, I guess, put in the code. And uh, now it says you have to install everything needs to be listed first of all, and then it needs to be installed per its listing. So you can't use uh, you know certain heads in certain locations, such as if you want um, plastic use plastic pipe in an attic, you have to use special sprinklers with that that are listed for that uh, use, um, which is limited to light hazard occupancy. In right. So um, it was always understood, but never really put in the code. So now it is. So. I think everybody's done that here, right? And one one uh, thing here, and I think we'll touch on it in the future, is like we're we're accepting flex heads now. Everybody must know what those are. Um, it's like a flexible hose, and you put a sprinkler on it, and then it's got to be attached to the ceiling, the drop ceiling. Um, when the, the, when you're doing a remodel, and you move those, you need a permit. Okay, just because it's so tempting to <laughs> relocate it because it's so easy, you don't have to get a wrench or anything. Just swing it over, baby. So, uh, but anytime you touch a sprinkler system, we need a permit. Oh, and, and one other side item. Um, what we've been doing too is um, we've always asked for as built. Has anybody ever ha been asked to do an as built? Uh, okay, maybe you don't know what that is, but what it is is a field change. And when you do a field change, uh, maybe the, head, the sprinkler head is, needs to be over a foot because it, it doesn't look good where it is. And, and so, but it really doesn't affect anything. And in the estimation of the designer, the architect, and, and the field inspector says, sure, fine, do that. Well, is that going to require you to submit a new plan? No. Minor stuff like that we don't want to see anymore. We're going to let you just do it in the field, and then that's done. So it's going to make it easier for you and less less hassle. I mean, going to DBI is going to be easier because we're restructuring anyway. But still, if you could avoid it, why why go? Yes. Um, if they. Add, it depends. If you're adding a couple heads, just moving a couple heads, he shouldn't be. They or she shouldn't be. Um, the directive is probably going to be slow getting out there, and people are used to asking for them. If you have a problem with a particular inspector, please give me a call. We'll get it straightened out. Maybe, maybe he or she is right. Maybe in this case you do need it. Maybe not. But we're trying to discourage it, okay? For small things, and this goes for fire alarms too, sprinkler heads, uh, maybe smoke detectors, strobes, whatever you're doing. In Chapter Seven of the 2002 NFPA 13, uh, gauges are now required above and below check valves in a riser. This is both sides of the riser. Okay, and then particularly um, the change in uh, the temperature is considered freezing. Uh, it is now below 40 degrees. Okay, so this would apply to any coolers, 
that that type of a of an installation. Refrigerators. Uh, refrigerators, not just the freezers. Uh, it also should be noted that those types of heads should be a, a intermediate temperature because they go through a heating cycle usually for defrost, and uh, that's that's what we require. So. Insulation requirements: sprinkler thermal sensitivity. Uh, this we always did. Um, we, you know, we don't want you to mix and match sprinklers. Quick response, standard response in the same fire area. But now it's stating even more so that um, they've got to be 135 to 170 degrees. Okay. Um, there are exceptions, and that's if you have a place where the, the ambient temperature could get high, and you know, bad things happen when a sprinkler goes off in somebody's residence or in a office building or over a computer. Remember that one. That's a new one. And it doesn't apply to residential sprinklers. Sidewall spray sprinklers. It allows the installation of sidewall sprinklers in smooth, horizontal, or sloped ceilings. And it gives you the definition of what that is now. And, and really what it's talking about is it wants, if you're going to put them in a sloped ceiling, it wants the sprinkler at the highest point of the slope. Okay? and with the deflector parallel to the slope. So they don't want to see the sprinkler coming down like this. They want it like that. Okay. That's the way it should be. Pretty, it's easier that way anyway. Um, and then it gives you the definitions. Horizontal ceiling is 2 and 12 or less, and uh, sloped is greater than that. This one's a good one. Ceiling pockets, emission of sprinklers, if it's 32 square feet, okay, you don't need to do it. If the, and you, if you have more, more than one pocket, uh, they need to be separated by 10 feet. And then you don't have to sprinkler it. And notice it doesn't have any dimension, minimum dimension. So I guess it could be 1 by 32 or 2 by 16 or whatever. But there is no minimum dimension. So... 32 square feet, remember that. Uh, ceiling pockets are considered different because usually they are larger in nature. They go up to 1,000 cubic feet, and they can be maximum of 36 inches deep. Um, the entire floor area below that um, ceiling pocket would require sprinkler coverage, so you have to space, space your sprinklers uh, as if there was a ceiling there, but just not in the ceiling pocket area. Uh, adjacent openings are horizontally located 10 feet or more away from the other pockets, similar to the skylights, okay? And, but your construction is limited, in this case, to non-combustible or limited combustible. Uh, skylights are allowed to be plastic, okay, if 32 feet, square feet or less, so somehow or another, they compare that with ceiling pockets. Uh, and quick response sprinklers are used in the room. So they're, they're looking for a little bit more uh, sprinkler response, sooner sprinkler response. So. Um, okay. Okay. There was something else in there we talked about. Um, there's, it's similar to this in, in the case of 36 inch deep it would be a step ceiling. So say like this ceiling would take a step up and uh, 
sprinkler coverage would be similar to the ceiling pockets, you'd have to uh, cover the floor area on the step ceiling. But any more than 36 inches deep would be considered a, uh, another ceiling, which would then require sprinkler coverage to that step. So if the ceiling would step up more than 36 inches, you'd have to protect the floor area from both sides, basically. Do you want to talk so a little bit about cloud ceiling? Oh, yeah. That's, that's We're good. seeing okay. more and more cloud ceilings, which is architecturally beautiful. It means that maybe you'd have a drop ceiling here and then open space into the plenum uh, on the side so it looks like a cloud, basically. So explain to the people how we're going to handle that. Okay. The way, the way they're being handled is when we have a uh, basically a floating or cloud ceiling, as, as they're called, uh, we require sprinkler coverage above them and below them. And then we also require the sprinkler system to be uh, calculated for 130% of what the normal uh, design uh, remote area would be. So for example, 1,500 square feet is your typical uh, remote area. You'd have to increase that by 30% or another 450 square feet. So those can be very critical if you have limited water supply. So it could increase your pipe sizing. Quick response, yeah, it would change based on the rules. For the height of the ceiling? Yeah, for the height of the ceiling. 900 square feet is typical. Yeah, plus the 30% added uh, to the 1,500, then you do your reduction. Yeah, for yes. those of you that are unfamiliar with that, what they're talking about is you could have a reduction in the remote area calc if your ceilings are less than 20 feet. There's a formula, and you're using quick response sprinklers. So typically, your remote area would be 1,500 square feet in the office building or anywhere. Uh, and, and that could be reduced up to 40%. So now you only have 60% of the um, calculation area, which is a great advantage. You had a question? You, you have a choice of calculating above or below, but the remote area is 130% of what would typically be required. So. Okay, next slide is, this is a big one, bracing. Okay, so we're going to we're going to sort of not really get into this too deep because there's many changes in the 2002 errata and the 2007 edition of NFPA 13. And plus, the new CBC has requirements also. So right now, our FPEs are working on this. It's a complete change from the way it was calculated before. It's very complicated and very involved, so we have to sort it all out. So we have an administrative bulletin coming out that has you people understanding exactly what you need to do so you don't have to try to figure it out for yourself. We want to get the, the legwork and the homework done for you so to make it easy for you to, so you know what is going to get approved. You don't, you don't have to uh, go hire an engineer. Well, you might, but yeah. <laughs> at least that engineer will know what to do. So um, let's just go on to the next. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as uh, we go. I don't know if they're going to even have that, or Toco is going to adjust it. 
Well, they, they got that, but did they adjust it for the 2007 CBC? Right. So there's more requirements. So that's why we have to, you know, work through this, and we'll keep you posted. And by the way, if, if I don't have your people's uh, email, I'd like it. I'd like to get it after um, we finish here so we could send information or updates or anything to you. Uh, we're going to start giving more classes uh, and just, just to keep the communication over. If you guys have a problem, uh, there should be a forum for it instead of just having to come to give me a phone call. You know, maybe we, if we have a group of people in the room, maybe they all have similar problems and, and, and we need to know that, okay? We, we want to maintain consistency so it's fair for you guys out in the field. That's very important to us. You are why we're here, to serve the public. So um, don't forget that. You, you have power in that regard. Uh, chapter 9, um, next slide. This has to do with uh, unsupported end of branch lines and uh, with high pressure. So anything over 100, 100 PSI now, and that could be usually, it could be anywhere, but usually it's with a pump, right? And so that could be a high rise or a tall building. You're going to need a steel pipe hanger and vertical restraint within 12 inches of the branch line and arm over end. That's different. Uh, copper tube is going to need it within six inches. That's a lot, a lot more bracing is coming. So that's why we want to figure it out, uh, you know, because bracing is expensive and but necessary. So we want to figure out some way that there's a, a happy medium here that we don't need to double the cost of a sprinkler system just for the bracing. Uh, I don't know if we could do it, but we're going to try. Chapter 9, risers. Uh, Four-way braces are required for risers more than three feet in length. Okay, that's not too, too long. Um, and then I think it's every 25 feet otherwise. So as you go up the riser, it's every 25 feet you need a right. four-way. And then uh, where a four-way four brace is not going to be required where it penetrates an intermediate floor. So if you have like a landing halfway up the staircase and your riser goes up there, you don't need it where you have an annular space. Um, that, that's right, John? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. That's the clearance. Okay. Uh, and that's all we're going to go through now for, for um, the comparison. We're going to move on to the comparisons between uh, 13, 13R and 13D. There's a chart here. I, I, if you have really good eyes, you can read it. Uh, but I, I'll run you quickly through it here. Basically, if you're going to sprinkle our building, all occupancies, uh, all areas, the only one you can really do it to is 13. Okay, that's for all occupancies. Sprinklers in R3, that's one and two family dwellings. You could use any of the standards, but you get breaks for using 13D, uh, fewer breaks for using 13R, and the least amount of breaks for using 13. If you're putting on an extra story or you're adding area, uh, according to tables uh, 503, um, then you, you, you have to use 13, okay? Um, we're not going to let you get away with 13D or 13R. 
um, specifically closets, hotel, motel closets, 24 square feet or less. You, first of all, NA is 13 because you can't do a 13 uh, system in a motel, 13D system in a motel. So, but you don't have to sprinkler those, okay? Hotels and motels, 24 square feet or less, and that's with a minimum dimension of three feet, okay? And that's a footnote somewhere on the next page or something. Hotel, motel, closets greater than 24 feet, square feet, you're going to sprinkle those, okay, in, on either standard. And clothes, linen closets, and pantries, 13, 24 square feet or less, uh, that'll be 13. Uh, you, you don't have to sprinkle those in 13R or 13D. Uh, clothes and linen closets and pantries, non-hotel and motel greater than 24 square feet, all of them. You, ha you have to sprinkle them. And I could email anybody this that wants a chart of this. It's kind of nice just to have as a reference. Um, I don't know. I get All my plan checkers like it, so I guess if you, you have a, a need for it, it might be nice. Now we got bathrooms. Uh, that's another uh, omission. Uh, 55 square feet or less, and that means non-combustible finishes. So your your construction has to be non mostly non-combustible. Uh, if you have if it's all wood, you know, un fire treated or something like that, you're going to have to sprinkle it. But the typical bathroom is sheetrock and tile and stuff like that. So that qualifies it. And if it's 55 square feet or less, you don't need to sprinkler it if it's uh, on any of the standards. If it's greater than 55 square feet on all the standards, you have to sprinkler it. Okay, so some, some bathrooms are getting pretty big now. Um, pretty fancy uh, appliances, showers, and jacuzzis, they got everything. Design, um, the residential at 0.1 GPM or listed flow greater than 0.1 GPM is, is to NFPA 13. So you can't get below 0.1 GPM, okay? You cannot get 0.9 or 0.5, uh, I mean 0.05 or 0.09. Um, it's got to be 0.1 or greater. Residential occupancies using quick response a calc at 1,500 square feet, that's uh, NFPA 13 standard. Okay, you can't do that in the other ones. Residential occupancy using residential sprinklers, uh, calcing four heads. Uh, remember, that's using residential sprinklers. That gives you a big break. So we encourage residential head usage. They're meant to save lives. They have a different spray pattern. Um, and so you get a big break if, if you uh, use that. It's only four head calc. If you had to calc the whole unit, it might be ten heads. Residential occupancies using residential sprinklers, you calc two heads, and that's only in 13D. And then you have to calc one other head because that might be the most remote head. We don't know. It might actually flow more water. So, um, but that's the least um, restrictive, 13D in this case. No hose allowance required, uh, but you must include the domestic use, and that's in 13R and 13D, uh, so you don't have to worry about your hose allowance. Residential occupancies, you add 100 GPM hose allowance, or any light hazard, actually, uh, for NFPA 13. 
and you must use re listed residential sprinklers in 13R and 13D. You can use quick response in 13, uh, but you have to calc more uh, square footage. And then the minimum density is 0 0.05 in 13R and 13D, uh, or the listed sprinkler flow that's greater than that. And then minimum operating pressure is always 7 PSI, okay? That's in all the standards. Uh, garages, NFPA 13R and 13D do not do garages, so you have to go to 13 if you're going to use garage and you're going to add 250 GPM. Hose allowance because that's uh, ordinary group 1.15 density. Attics, crawl spaces, concealed spaces not intended for storage or living purposes, that has to be sprinklered under NFPA 13. Uh, you do not have to sprinkler those areas in 13R and 13D. So there are great advantages to 13R and 13D. It will save you some money if you could use those standards. Uh, these are some of the bulletins. This is the fire department connection omission, and we're going to continue with that. I largely believe we are. A lot of the references are going to have to be changed, as you can see down there. And these are examples of, I'm just showing you this to show you that we have to go through all these things and change them all and adjust them. And so be expecting changes. Right now, down, point down to that 2001 CBC. Yeah, 2001 CBC. Well, that's going to be out in January, right? So we better get busy. Uh, I, I do have the correct edition of the 2002 NFPA 13 up there. But uh, basically, um, there are exceptions to having fire department connections. One of them is a combination service uh, in the city. It, it, we don't typically require a um, FDC on those. This is a good one that I don't know. I asked John how many of these he's gotten. This is kind of like a joke. But <laughs> It's not really because if you, if you have a multiple standpipe or zone system and you have different fire department uh, connections, they need to be color-coded so we know which standpipe is being charged and, and which one to hook up to. So that's what this is all about. It's going to be revamped as well. Anybody know what that picture is? Somebody said it was sunglasses. I don't know. It's, it's an FDC. It's a fire department connection with rusted out caps on it. So that's not well maintained, is it? We're going to have a heck of a time getting those things off. Anyway, um, hose connections for standpipes shall be equipped with approved plastic or metal plug, which may be removed and reused. But that's got to be approved for us, by us, okay? The use of cast iron caps, which are not threaded, shall not be used. So we, if you're going to use cast iron, you got to be able to thread it in there. We don't want to see the cast iron just slapped on there with a clip. Okay. You would be surprised what we find in these things. They just shove garbage and everything in there. Design criteria for fire department connection and standpipe outlet valves, 18 inches, 48 inches. This is basically the same uh, as it always has been. Um, I don't see many changes happening here. And then, uh, of course, in San Francisco, we use three-inch hose valves and, uh, and fire department connections. Design criteria for installation of under underground piping for fire sprinklers. 
Um, this is going to maintain itself um, the same numbers, 30-inch depth. However, in San Francisco, we allow 12 inches for two-inch services or less. So you could only bury it 12 inches, which is kind of an advantage. And then it can pop up to the meter three inch to three inches? Below the concrete. Below the concrete. So, so it'll come in at wherever the water department puts theirs, and then the meter will be three inches, and then you got to dive down to, to 12 inches. This is happening, so I put this one here. People want to take out their hose cabinets that are, are used for um, occupant use, and we don't allow it because it's there for purpose. It was there for a reason. Uh, we will, on a case-by-case -case basis, let you remove them if you sprinkler the entire building to NFPA 13. If that's done, it's probably a good chance we'll let you take those out. We'd much rather see a sprinkler building. Testing of fixed extinguishing systems. This is a, not an NFPA 25. This is a Title 19, and we're going to maintain Title 19, I believe. Um, we're still working on that, too, because there is some reference to the fire code. Uh, and, you know, we still have homework to do on this. But basically, the fire department needs to be notified 24 hours before servicing of a system, and a report has to be forwarded to the fire department after the inspection has been done. And so this is one that may not have been enforced as much as it should have been, and we're revisiting it. Uh, testing of fixed extinguishing systems. In high rises, you have your PRVs. You, you have to have, your pump has to be able to perform at 100 to 125 PSI residual pressure flowing 250 gallons at the hose valve, okay? And if you're flowing 750, so you'll be flowing 500 out of one, one of the risers, 250 out of the other, the pressure, residual pressure can drop to 75. So uh, make sure when you're doing your calcs on those, you prove that, because we're going to be out there testing for that. Maximum static pressure must not exceed 150. Okay, because when that line opens, we don't want to knock anybody down. Uh, there's a lot of back pressure there. So, uh, and all tests will be reviewed by the SFFD. Uh, this one is one that we're, we come a lot, along a lot with. It's um, air gaps. So basically, if you're, if you're coming in and you're going down and then up or up and then down, you're going to get an air gap in your supply or an air pocket, and that's not really good for the pump to have a water go through it and then air. So it could damage the pump or freeze it or do lots of nasty stuff. So we encourage you in your design to come straight, go down, but just straight down and then straight, fine, but not up and down. That's basically the idea. So it could go up to the pump or go down to the pump but not up and down. Otherwise, special measures have to be taken, like um, air release valves we may let you use. But if you need to sort of let us know if you're having a problem. If you can't do it, we have practical difficulties, we can't do it, then we'll go ahead and let you use the air gap, the air release valves. Is that about right? Yeah, usually that's, uh, 
picked up during the site permit process and everybody's made aware of, of uh, the design requirements for the fire pumps and some type of, of uh, solution is found at that time so we don't get into the already designed have to change it phase and which causes a lot of problems. So. Right, and, and that would usually be brought up by us because at the cyber permit stage, sometimes they don't even have a sprinkler contractor. So, you know, here comes a sprinkler contractor. Well, thanks. You, know, you, you got me stuck here with the fire department. So uh, we'll, we'll try to be more di uh, diligent on that. Combination fire services, this is good for reference. Um, the delivery rates is nice uh, to know. Uh, and this includes domestic use. So if you have a one-inch service, the most you could flow out of there, including your domestic use, is 50 GPM. One and a half inch is 100, and two inches 160. So if you're doing a garage and you want to use a combo system, you're pushing it with the one with the two-inch service because if it's an any size garage, it's ordinary group one, and you might have you might be pushing that 160 mark. So you might have to go to a straight fire. So. Just be aware of that. Here's the flows through a meter. That's kind of nice to know for your calcs or combos. 25, 50, 75, 100. And you could extrapolate. Like if, you have, if you're flowing 155, um, it would probably be 10. We accept 10. I mean. So that's, that's what your, uh, your friction loss is going to be going through the meter. FDC requirements. Okay, this is... Our option, um, the authority having jurisdiction, if you have a big low-rise building, we might ask you to have more than one FDC. You know, and you say, well, it's only low-rise. Well, the thing is, is it's huge, huge low-rise. So if you got a street frontage here and a street frontage there, we're going to ask one, one on each street frontage, just so we we're able to get our positioning of our fire engines and get water to the fire. Here's some new requirements. I, you know, it's a, it's a lengthy code. It's two volumes. I don't have the complete list. Uh, I, I apologize, but we will be coming out with some more on this, and then that's why I need your email address. All buildings with an R1 and R2 fire area, and these are different occupancy classifications, okay? So R1s are hotels and R2s are apartments now. It's a little different than it was. They, those both used to be R1s, right? So it, it's a little different. But if you have any fire area in a building, so if you have a B office building, two stories, but you have a, an R, R1 or R2 fire area in there, you have a little unit in there, you got to sprinkle the whole building. That's big. All valves controlling the water supply for automatic sprinkler system must be electrically supervised. This one we're going to have to figure out. Does that mean you got a small little system and now you have to have it central station? Every sprinkler system has one valve. And this says all valves controlling the water supply for automatic sprinkler system must be electrically supervised. To me, that means it's got to go to a central station or some supervised somehow, proprietary or, or equivalent. 
Number three, alarm supervisor and trouble signals, blah, 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 and automatically uh, should be automatically transmitted to an approved central station, remote supervising, or proprietary supervising station as defined in NFPA 72, 2002 edition. Systems with 20 or more sprinklers must be supervised and monitored by a central station or equivalent. All group A, this is a good one, all group A occupancies. So any assembly shall be sprinkled throughout and all the floors between the A occupancy and the level of exit discharge. So say you want to put a, you have a, a building that's al allowed to have an A on the third floor, but it's an unsprinklered building. Well, you not only have to sprinkle the, sprinkler the A occupancy, you have to sprinkle the, all, all the floors between the A occupancy and the exit of level of discharge, the level of exit discharge. So, and that goes for basements too. So if you have two basements, you got one in the, in the second basement, well, the, the next basement has to be sprinkled as well. So that's rare. So. But usually it's above. So these are some of the big changes. There's more, I'm sure. Um, uh, people call me every day. Uh, one guy called me, uh, this doesn't relate to sprinklers, but he uh, asked about, no, oh, the code says you don't need uh, lobbies in a high-rise residential building. I said, what? And sure enough, it said it there, but it says when approved, if you have positive pressure elevators. And so, um, you know, we're learning. You're learning. We're going to struggle together. We'll be, there'll be mistakes made, but, you know, we stick together. We're, we're a good team that way. These are standards for seismic sway bracing. John's been reading volumes on it, articles on it. Um, this is what I was uh, uh, alluding to before, that um, it's going to be very complicated. We're going to have all three of our engineers working on this, plus our fire marshal, who's an expert in code, of course, if you know her. We're going to try to straighten it out so it's simple for you and so it's straightforward as best we can. Are we? <laughs> Talk a little bit about it. Yeah, it really looks like there's going to be some significant changes in seismic bracing requirements. So at this point, NFPA 13 uh, doesn't apply to most of the buildings in our uh, San Francisco area. So we're going to be working with the uh, ASCE, or American Society of Civil Engineers, book uh, number seven, to develop the seismic uh, restraint criteria. So and a lot of times it involves a uh, registered engineer, and typically the project engineer, that will be developing the criteria that is necessary to do the calculations. So as uh, Jerry said, we're still trying to determine exactly how it's going to work, but at this point, right now, uh, if you get this uh, document, it's referenced from the uh, 2007 CBC, and uh, it's a little bit difficult to figure out that it refers uh, seismic bracing uh, criteria to this, but once you do, you see that it is specified uh, to apply to the uh, NFPA 13 uh, systems.
real quickly what I did is I ran through the code, tried to do some example calcs, and found out that most of our occupancy categories are going to fall in the D section, and that is required to comply with ASCE 7, um, more stringent requirements. Uh, in talking to some of these, uh, the people that are involved with this on the NFPA 13 committees, uh, I found out also that uh, critical factors will be our anchors, and they need to be pre-qualified. So, um, and of course, when we come up with this administrative bulletin, we'll try to give you step-by-step -step guidelines to help with the permit uh, submittal process to, to guide, glide through it, hopefully. So. Uh, but more will be coming on that. Thank you for attending. We value you and your opinion. We want you to feel that we're here to help assist you. Our goal is to improve the value of our services to, be, to better serve you. We've been listening to you telling us what's important. New improvements are on the horizon. I just want to tell you that there are changes. I don't know if you've been to the building department lately. We're doing many of our plans over the counter now, um, and it's almost like 80% now is over the counter. So w basic rule of thumb is if we can get it done within an hour, then we'll go ahead and give it our best shot. But if it takes over an hour, you may have to submit it or come back the next day. Or if there's nobody there waiting in line, but that's rare. Um, Maybe we could give you the extra 10 minutes. But basically, the rule of thumb is if it can't be done in an hour, you know, try, try to work with us as well. You know, if you know that it's going it, to take a little longer than that, just submit it. And, um, but we will stick to that hour. Uh, if you have more than one plan, um, we will be happy to do more than one plan. But as the line gets longer, we may say, well, uh, Ramon, would you mind waiting just so we can help the next person? He'll say no, but I say, please, Ramon, and he will agree to it because he's a nice guy. But um, we want to help everybody, and we want to give everybody equal opportunity to get their plans. We don't want anybody waiting for hours. And I think that's one of the great improvements um, that we see uh, so far is it's really helped the, uh, the, uh, the customer. And the fire department actually did start that, as you, as you recall. Um, at the 7 o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays for fire alarms and sprinklers. Uh, so we'd like to toot our own horn on that behalf. Uh, anyway, uh, I do thank you. Do you have any questions now that we are finished with our presentation? Ramon. Backflow preventers. Yes. On a combination system. This is totally a water department call. Um, lately, I think the last decision was we weren't requiring them. Right. So, you know, you get new administration, the next guy might say you need them, you know. Right now, not required. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a better thing to do. You're protecting the water supply, you know. So, um, I think that's the right way to do it. But it, it, right now, it's not required. Hi. Did uh, John had mentioned that on the last slide, I guess, that NFPA 13 does not apply to Mr. Burke's event because of that DEP in 2007, or because of NFPA 13 does not apply to Mr. Burke's event. So what, what do you mean? Oh, we're 
talking about uh, bracing. Okay. So you're asking where NFPA 13 is applicable. So in uh, seismic bracing criteria, that's where NFPA 13 isn't going to be applicable for most installations here. There are some exceptions, but you need to go through the code thoroughly to find out if that is part of the project that you're working on. So, and typically what I've, I've read is that they apply to uh, one and two family dwellings. It fall in, in, into a certain seismic design category, category C. So, and I don't believe that'll be the case here in San Francisco at all. So, but those calculations will have to be done to prove that. So, is anything else? Again, you're talking about seismic bracing criteria. Uh, that is correct when the new uh, California Building Code takes effect on January 1, 2007. Uh, eight. Yeah, we're trying to find something desperately that <laughs> you know will save us from this. But um, so far, John's been looking for a few days, and he's a pretty good researcher. So we're we're stuck right now, but we'll get Fred on the case. We'll get, you know, we'll see what we can do. Uh, there's there's articles out there already, so um, let us do our research, and we still have a few months, um, but we'll keep you posted. Um, more questions? Yeah, they are online right now but they haven't been gone over yet. So we are in the process. I've done a few of them. Um, Bill Mitchell's gonna do some, Don Peel's gonna do some, so we have to get that done. Okay, so sooner the better. Yeah. Yes. Me too. <laughs> okay, when, uh, for instance, in a residential uh, calculation with four sprinkler heads, right? Okay, so you, you have your four heads that you're going to calculate plus the uh, window spray sprinklers in that unit. But let's say you don't have them in there, you have them in a bathroom. Okay, so you need to include one or two that are in that bathroom. Okay, that's what we look for when you do those calculations. Now, if you're doing an office uh, business occupancy calculation, typically NFPA 13 defines that and you'll see that you're required to calculate a certain percentage of the remote area in length. So, and that, that usually falls into four or five sprinkler heads that could be considered the most demanding in addition to your normal uh, calculation area. So, does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, 
It shouldn't be all of them. I mean, if you have 14 of them, it shouldn't be all of them. That's for sure. Again? Okay. No, well, right now at pre-apps, we're allowing you to use the 2007 building code. So, but if you're just coming in for a plan, yeah, it's going to be January 1st. Unless you have a pre-app that agrees to it that you could use 2007, okay? And that would be in the pre-app notes that Lieutenant Zari uh, stated Esam Hassanen has stated that we could use the uh, 2007 CBC. Yes? Okay, um, it used to be seven feet in the older versions of 13. But currently, the code, I believe, reads where the sprinkler head may be subjected to damage. So, you know, if it's in a pathway of a corridor where you're going to be carrying things in and out, yeah. You know, it needs to be some type of, of uh, you know, there needs to be some type of protection. A, a, a guard or a flush head or something like that that needs to be added. So. And I believe, th does a guard need to be listed for that use? Yes. Yeah. So you can't just make something up and protect it. You know, it, it, as usual, you know, it needs to be uh, listed for that purpose. Yeah. Well, barely graze them. Uh, well, put it this way. I have a friend who has a pretty big building in San Francisco. And he got a $5,000 bill because uh, some guy just accidentally was lifted his guitar up and hit the sprinkler head and a lot of damage. So if a guitar can do it, you know, box full of books or china, anything can do it. That's why it's always good to have recessed heads. Um, you know, they're out of the way, uh, safe, protected. Some degree, fire protection engineering. Nothing's protected well enough. Uh, any other questions? Well, you've been a wonderful audience. Thank you for coming, and uh, don't get too wet out there. Bye bye.